You're listening to Creators in Saigon, a podcast based in the rapidly modernizing city of Saigon, Vietnam. I'm Dana, and together with my co-hosts, Tuesi and Nico, we interview the most inspiring creative entrepreneurs Saigon has to offer on topics about life, relationships, creativity, business, health, and more. We are all coaches specializing in different areas, but our common goal is to inspire you to reach your full potential in these areas and improve the quality of your life. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So today is uh, Navigating Life Challenges uh, with our dear Lam Chan, the CEO of WisePass. Um, for those who don't exactly know what's going on to the, during this session, so it's the second episode of our mini series. We do it in partnership with the Hive Saigon and the whole crew actually at Creators in Saigon podcast is either co-hosting, hosting, and in the comments. So obviously the idea is to interview creative minds and to talk about topics around life, business, what's going on in Saigon, uh, how entrepreneurs thrive, survive, fail, and succeed, of course. Um, it's about mental health, physical health, and of course, uh, a, lot of, a lot more things that we um, are happy to discover as well, because one of the reasons we are doing all this every day is actually because we, we like to hear from our host stories. Um, and of course, in the end, the goal is to inspire more and more people to reach their full potential and to, why not, try to figure out this thing called life. So uh, welcome, Lam, and uh, uh, I'm going to try to introduce, no, I'm going to let you introduce yourself in a little bit. I just want to say uh, a little bit more words about uh, Tuesi, maybe. So if you don't know Tuesi yet, um, <clears throat> he's a life coach, and he also is a Notion so specialist. Notion is a productivity app for people who Hello. don't know yet. And basically, <clears throat> he's using his personal experiences and knowledge to help young professionals and, and, and to help them to find clarity and organize their lives and businesses. And, and me, I'm working with entrepreneurs, trying to help them to optimize their business, especially in Vietnam, and um, trying to help them to bring more technology in their business and also face cross-cultural challenges. So you're all invited during this live session to ask questions about you know, uh, anything related to Saigon, to, to business, to the life of an entrepreneur. Uh, Lam as well is an entrepreneur. We're gonna go in details with him for the whole interview. So um, uh, don't hesitate to, to ask your questions now and put them in the comments. And then whenever we, we see them, we'll like, you know, jump in at the right time. Uh, and of course, we are happy to welcome everybody to participate. So the interview is going to be in three parts. Um, we're going to try to take questions every time from the audience. And uh, for example, the first one, the first part I think is going to be more about Lam, like who is Lam and, and, and what, what is your uh, background and profile a little bit more. Um, part two is going to be more about your startup and your startup life, I guess. And the last part is probably more about um, the entrepreneur you have become and the achievements or the failures as well. Like uh, we can uh, we can decide uh, whether 
which one we prefer to share. I think both are interesting. Um, and uh, so, welcome, Lam. I'm gonna, welcome. I'm gonna shut up soon. <laughs> 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 Sorry, man. Um, thank you for joining us on the show today. Uh, I didn't introduce you because I thought you'd love to do it. I, I'm sure you, you, you're happy to, uh, to introduce yourself and uh, maybe you can tell us how you, you usually introduce yourself for people, to, uh, for people who meet you for the first time, for example. Sure. Um, let's say like uh, I meet a lot of people when I go to the events or when I'm in my own events, right? So what I just tell them is actually uh, I'm the founder and the CEO of WisePass. It's a company that I founded like um, seven years ago now. So I officially started on October 31st, 2014. And with the idea in mind of uh, what I would do with my 30s. So uh, at that time, like I, I think every 10 years in my life. So the first, 20, first 10 years was about like how just to travel around the world. And from my 30s, it's really about like how to come back to Saigon and actually build something big. So that was the idea. And that still is the idea. And um, so what I do is actually to share about uh, this idea that I just got seven years ago. And we discuss about like uh, the process, the journey that I went through and uh, the different topics that uh, you can uh, deal with. And there's a lot of that, right? But uh, I can share a little bit more today. So what I can share with you is uh, I'm French Vietnamese, was born in Paris, uh, 84, spent my childhood over there. And uh, I also like spent uh, some years like in Western Africa. I was in Benin, I was in Ghana. And then uh, during my 20s, then actually I started to work. My first job was in New York, did my MBA in Korea. I spent some time in Denmark. And uh, you have a white background, by the way, now. And um, <laughs> yeah, so uh, I spent a lot of time like all around the world until uh, the end of my 20s and decided just to, to uh, uh, land in Vietnam. And uh, here you go. Nice. Yeah. And so what, what, what do you, um, so a lot of people actually, like you, you have done a lot of interviews, so uh, it's, it's easy to find information about you. Um, but I feel like a few people have asked you, or at least we haven't talked about it much. It's like every time you say how you started Wildspass and you explain um, about, you know, you, how did you find the idea and everything, um, you usually mention that before you were working in Google, sorry, at Google, um, but I'm, I'm all, because it's, it's, and then like everybody take it for granted. But for me, like if you aim at working at Google, it's, 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 it's like a really big achievement already. Uh, and I'm interested to know more about how do you end up actually, you know, working at Google and, and was that something you were aiming for? So interesting story is, um, I was the head of marketing of a group buy company in Vietnam at that time in 2011 until 2012. Mm -hmm. And hi, Tam Wing and Nhi uh, and uh, my boyfriend. Wow. So I don't know me. which boyfriend she's talking about. Okay. Cool. She's talking about me. <laughs> All right. Or we can just like deny everything based on the comments. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe you shouldn't. Um, <laughs> so I was, uh, yeah, I was working in Vietnam and I was the head of marketing at this group buy. And then uh, how I ended up in Google was pretty simple. The company I was working for in Vietnam raised $60 million, which is great. And we're spending a lot of money. We're going like crazy, getting over 10,000 new customers every month. So good, but that's also bad. 
it's also bad because like when you have a lot of money, like uh, the n- amount of employees grew up from 400 to over a thousand. And then there were a lot of politics and eventually the company blew up internally. And one of my coworkers at that time who already left and who was French uh, was just contacting me on Facebook and was telling me, oh, seems like things are not going so well in Vietnam. Do you want to work for Google? And uh, at that time, like I, I had just to sit down and wait because like all the investors were fighting with each other with the management team. And I was part of the management team, but I was not really like that involved. And uh, I had to wait. And uh, when I got uh, this person proposing me the, to be referred, then I said, why not? And uh, an HR person called me and uh, you have to go through five interviews and then they fly you in Singapore and then you have to do this Google Meet thing with like one of your peers and one of your manager and one of your big boss. And then like if everyone agrees among 20 candidates for that role, then uh, you're being uh, offered a job and here you go. So that's how it happened. I've gone through five interviews and I apparently I was a good enough candidate for the role. Was it, was it something you, you were like, you were really happy to get or was it more something you, you chose, you know, by default because it was following what you were studying and then what you were doing in your professional life and um, it, was, it was making sense for your career, but was it making sense for you? So the interesting thing, in, in hindsight, like you can cut that into three pieces. Like the first uh, piece is uh, before you sign, you're like, oh, Google, great, big company. Uh, heard about the company, obviously, and I'm using it as a head of marketing. And then when you get the job offer, I stand it in front of the... Uh, like uh, industry one, right? And then I stood there like for five hours and a friend came over and I was like, should I go? I shouldn't go. Should I sign? I shouldn't sign. And uh, I was hesitant basically because I wanted to live in Vietnam and I just didn't want to go for Google and leave the country. And uh, it kind of just like reframed the, the, the situation and just told me, just sign the contract and go there and if it doesn't work out then you just quit and you come back so that was pretty easy like just to reframe the stuff like i was like lost my 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 own thoughts the second piece is actually when i flew over there and started to work for google uh money's great you get great buffet in that for the breakfast for the lunch for the dinner you can fly to london paris berlin and you name like all the offices we have, like we have a special card where you have access to all the offices in Google and eat for free. So by the way, like if you want to travel and just get there, you get your free meal. But you're not going to live for the free meals in around like all the European offices of Google. And then this is not your purpose in life, right? Because uh, um, it, it comes to the point like, you know, like you're not going to live because you can eat. And uh, you realize your bank account is growing well. Uh, I started to invest in real estate. And uh, this is like the key moment when uh, I asked my big brother, like, okay, so I invest in some properties now. So what do I do? Oh, you wait for 15, 20 years and then you get some passive income. I was like, wait, so that's life and that's it. 
And then uh, this is actually when it comes, it came to the third piece where, okay, that may, I'm going to have to do something else that's going to really make me uh, feel energized every morning because this is uh, one of the big problems. Like uh, I start to wake up every, every day, you feel empty. So you get the money, you can eat, you get everything you, you need just to survive on earth. But then this is when you came, you, you got to go beyond that. That's, you're not going to live just because you, you need to eat and survive. Like yeah. it's not the war anymore, right? So it's more about self-actualization. And I think I'm going to get back to Vietnam. I feel like I have this identity thing where I belong more to Vietnam. I come back there, I'm going to figure out something else. And actually at that time, uh, the founder of and the CEO of the company, Tiki, uh, was hiring. And actually, like even before then, uh, we met, uh, we were already discussing about like a position as a head of marketing. So I just texted him and told him like, "Hey, still hiring as a head of marketing or something like this?" He said yes. And then through like five interviews again, I'm exaggerating, but uh, he just put his whole team uh, interviewing me. He was actually okay with me, but then he had to, uh, to get the buy-in of the team. And I got the buy-in the team, and then I went back to Vietnam, and I was the head of marketing of Tiki in 2013. And Tiki is a big company now, by the way, so I think uh, they've done pretty well, and uh, that's how I came back. So this is how I left Google. This is how I felt during Google, and before the interview and all this, and signing for the job offer, this is how I felt. I, um, I have a question, if I may, uh, Nico sure. Lam. So my question is, because uh, you talked about identity and you said mm -hmm. that you, uh, you, know, you felt that Vietnam was going to be more close to your heart. So after all those years now into 20, in 2021, uh, where do you belong and what's your identity? Because, I mean, the three of us right now are French, but I know we have varying degree of Frenchness in ourselves and I, I, con I don't consider myself fully French anymore. So where do you stand on this and where do you call home? Um, she means it is my home. Mm -hmm. I decided uh, it's, it's a choice. Like it's intentional to actually select the environment where you decide to live. And for me, this is my first, uh, uh, this is my first home now. It's been more than 10 years. Home is also Paris because I got my family over there and uh, I got my mom, my dad, my, my family basically. So uh, somewhat like I feel connected because like uh, of the people and the family members, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, because you spend time living all around the world, like um, um, if you manage, or some, for some people it works, for some people it doesn't work. So it's not a unique recipe. If you uh, learn on how to adjust to your environment everywhere you live, so this environment will be somewhat part of you as well, as part of your identity. Give you an example, like I enjoy New York a lot because it's global. You have a lot of things over there to do. It's really about business. And uh, you have like a huge melting pot of people like from NYU, Columbia Universities, but also all the guys from Wall Street. And then you get all the art people on Broadway. And then it's very like, there's a huge mix in New York. But then when you, in Ochino City, it's different, right? This is not New York. Um, but this is more home because actually all the people I'm, I'm actually, when I walk around the streets, like they are Vietnamese. So there's no such thing about like racism, black, white, stuff like that. 
they don't discriminate you with uh, the color of your skin. Here is different. It's going to be more like how much money you have, right? It's more materialistic. We may hate this in France because because when French people like uh, money is bad, uh, you're successful, you have a lot of money, then actually you should be hiding this kind of or this part of your life. Uh, so people will not be too much aware of that. But actually in Hanoi, I feel that Hanoi are more French in some perspective, like they're not going to talk too much about the money. Um, so you have all those nuances that you acquire along the way where um, you start to realize what you like. But then I like to break as well these, um, these uh, identity crises where, oh, this is where I live and I the rest of the world. It's more like this is pretty much like where I feel comfortable to live. But then I'd love to just discover new places as well, which is great with Weisspass because I had to go and do this expansion thing where Thailand is a great country as well. There are many things I enjoy. The lifestyle over there, the bars, the landscape, they're a bit more advanced than Ho Chi Minh City, Saigon. When you go which, to Manila, which, uh, it's still different. Which, right? which city were you talking about? Bangkok. Oh, okay, yes. You got Bangkok, you got Manila, you got, well, you got Singapore, of course. They're all different cities and uh, they don't speak the same languages. And then uh, learning a little bit of the language is also pretty helpful and that changes you again as well. Because I used to speak French, right? Some of us may speak Vietnamese and English and maybe a fourth language. And it's actually a, um, an exercise, a mental exercise on switching mindsets. Because like the minute you start to speak Vietnamese fluently or almost fluently, like your mind is different because the way you say things and the way you feel will be different from when you're going to speak French, when you're going to speak English, when you're going to speak uh, German. Um, so the more you get that and the more uh, people you can uh, connect with, and this is what amazes me on this planet. So I, I guess, I guess so like you, you mentioned the, the word uh, identity crisis too. And so I guess for you, the way you dealt with this throughout your life was just to move, to, to start businesses and like just to, just to work. So that, that works pretty well. I like to ask that question because we all grew up with this identity crisis, I think, especially for Vikil, double, double cultures and things like this. So it's, it's quite interesting to see everyone's path. Yeah, and also like everyone will have a different way to deal with that, right? We, are, we, are, we may, I'm really curious about like uh, female Vietnamese overseas, female BQ, because they have a different approach. Uh, I got a friend of mine, French Vietnamese in France and for her like France is her home, that's it. And she got married and then she got married with a French guy, uh, Caucasian. And I got a different girl, like she's French Vietnamese as well, but she went back to Vietnam. But then she realized like she, there's not such a great fit with like Vietnamese men and born and raised in Vietnam. And then they realized, okay, so the fact that you were born or actually spend a lot of your time in this environment will make you feel like a misfit when you're gonna come back to this environment. And even for us, when we were born in France or in Canada or wherever that is, then we fly back, we here in Ho Chi Minh City, there's still gonna be some sort of um, uh, misfit with, uh, with language and all sure. manners of ma uh, way to think or way to do things. Nico, you wanna continue? Yes, sure, I'm happy to. <laughs> Oh, you, you're done. <laughs> okay. 
Um, cool. Yeah, that, that was, the, that's uh, that's one way uh, to put it. I think for, for me as well, like it, it, being in Saigon, one of the best, like one of the main thing I've learned is to to be to adapt. Uh, every every city that we go, it's it's to mm-hmm. it's to adapt to the environment and. Actually, that, that's the only way to know if you're gonna fit or if you're gonna like it, how that makes you feel. And I, there is one thing I feel with you, Lam, is like, you, as long as you keep learning, you are satisfied as well. Um, in, in yeah, that. I think that's, a, I might believe, say that, this is a constant for everyone, uh, which is, um, and then there's something like related to this, which is, uh, I'm gonna talk about this after, but basically the bottom line is, if you keep learning, you're going to be happy. Yeah. Uh, kind of summarize it. Because like in the past, it would be like, oh, if you get rich and then you get enough for whatever, and then you're good. But that's not really true. It's just like, because you're still, you're still going to live, you're still going to breathe, you're still going to have time uh, before you die. So what are you going to do with all this time, right? And to some point also, you don't need more than like X amount of money just to think about like, uh, do I have enough? So the real question is really, what do you do with your time on earth? And how are you gonna build those experiences uh, or experiences and make sure like uh, you're gonna enjoy it the most. So it's really emotional as well, because we are emotional beings, right? How do you get there and actually feel great because you achieved something and then you learned this and you did this and you do that. Uh, and the entrepreneurship behind it kind of backs it up because when you build a company or you build a product, you build those connections with people, uh, you're actually going through those uh, hardships. Like this is actually uh, things you learn along the way as a human being. When you learn languages, this is actually another way where you can uh, uh, feel happy because like you're tested intellectually. And especially when we are entrepreneurs, I feel uh, this, is, this is totally connected. Like I think any type of personal challenge that you have uh, will be connected to your personal, like your, to your professional performance, uh, performances. So <clears throat> the two are not separated, I guess. And, um, and, and if you are personally affected about something that's happening in your, in your family or in your relationship or, or anywhere in your, in your health or whatever, uh, there is high chances that you won't be at the top of your game uh, when, you, when you are at work, right? Is, do you have any maybe have any uh, example of moments you remember having some some of these personal problems affecting your professional performances? Uh, I would say yeah, definitely. Like um, let's say uh, during the past seven years, I was working like a workaholic, basically just working a lot. Especially uh, when we start to get the market fit, especially in the drinking side then it led me just to go out and drink because that was a product and uh that affected my relationship that affected as well like uh, the uh the uh, the time i would spend home mm. or maybe big and also even before that because i was working too much then i didn't have time just to focus on my relationship and nurture it and grow it because at the end of the day like i was too let's say like trying to succeed and neglecting the relationship early on actually affected the, the business as well. Because like, you can't actually remain focused, but it be emotionally affected. And then 
that will actually distract you from uh, your performance. So this is one thing. You won't be able to sleep. Insomnia happens a lot because you're stressed out. And uh, the relationship is not going well and the business is, is going to be affected. Then this is actually interconnected. And um, that happened a lot. So along the years, what I've done was actually to understand like what's going to affect my sleep, what's going to affect my relationship, what will I do about this, and then uh, what can I do just to uh, simplify. So I use a lot of um, so minimalism. I try just to cut everything out. And uh, I have a sense of clarity on what to do on the long, uh, for the year. Let's say for the year, I just do one thing you know like those people sometimes like on december 31st you get those new year's resolutions like yeah you're gonna do this and this and that and you got a 20 list and then you're like yeah it's just and, and then three months later like you or actually by month number 10 you're like oh, i forgot I, I couldn't do all this so what i do is pretty simple i just do one thing and the rest is actually uh gonna support that goal but the goal is just one and that's it for this year. I have to make sure WisePass is profitable and cash flow positive. Yeah, that's it. And then if I do more, that's great, but then I'm done. So let's say for Q3, I might make it happen. But um, yeah, and if I do, that's great, especially during this time. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I declutter basically my, my life like that. So personal relationships or not work, is really uh, structured in a way where I made the choice to ensure this is not going to affect my life by simplifying it. And work is actually the main focus. But then it's not going to be the only focus eventually over time. And that actually uh, helps you so because you're not stressed out anymore or much less stressed out. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say because I feel like we we all somehow are in a career where we, you know, we, we have to uh, we have to we have to think of work as somehow like a priority to achieve our mission or our dreams or or just to sustain ourselves for some for some of us. Uh, th there is obviously like things you know aside aside of that, and I I wanted to add something on this because I feel like you 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 didn't mention it maybe, but um, we we can go back to it eventually. Is like when you say you focus on the work. I, th I think you, you, are meant, you are talking about work, but not only work like you used to work before, like work enough time in the day, but not necessarily the entire day. And then so you, have, you still take, keep some time for yourself, right? So are we going to take the concept of work-life balance? Or um, <laughs> here's what I do now. So I can share with the audience today. I set the goal and I put on the calendar uh, one or two, or very rarely I do three, but usually one or two important things in the day. And that's it. Because like, those are important tasks to complete or for the week, for the day, for the month. And, um, and the rest of the day, then I, have, I still have the staff. I, I have to complete like a small tasks, but then that's pretty much it. So that's one. Second is I actually uh, finish work at five or 5.30 sometimes. And then, yes, because I, I finish really early, then you end up having a lot of time for yourself. 
And if you really complete every day, like one or two important tasks that you already set for the day, then you feel there's a sense of achievement. You complete that task, those tasks. And then you can go and say and do something like, okay, and now I'm going to uh, swim. Because I mentioned earlier like, I, um, with you that I, I swim uh, very regularly. And then uh, swimming is great because it's going to actually make you burn calories. And then you're going to feel, uh, you, you feel much more peaceful after an hour. And then um, off you go, you just go home and you're good. You eat uh, some fruits and or some plant-based meals. So Dan, I can talk about this in the comments <laughs> and uh, hopefully for free. And then, yeah. And then we, we just, uh, you just segment the day where work is work, but then in order to achieve the goal, you need to actually remain very focused and have this sense of clarity and by swimming and by eating healthy and by sleeping properly, then you'll be able to attain that goal rather than actually working for 16 hours where I see some like business consultants or bankers, like, I don't know what they do, but they're going to kill themselves, like working like this for 10 years straight, right? It's not feasible. It's not human. So, but what's human and what's more important is you make quality, to make quality decisions by actually balancing your body. So it has proper diet, proper exercise. You do the work because you, just, you have to execute, but you shouldn't be actually unfocused and distracted by trying just to answer a lot of emails so you can feel that you've done stuff. Mm. So you focus on what's important. So it takes time. So you have to plan all these things and then eventually you'll see it's very counterintuitive, but then it works. It's, um, you, um, and uh, Dina, it's connecting to Dina's question as well. Um, it's like, uh, how long time does it take for you to, to plan and when do you plan? And of course, it's adding to the, to the question of Dana who is asking, is there a process you go through for choosing the one thing for the year? It can be over, overwhelming to try to narrow it down. Oh, it's pretty, uh, um, it's taking time, but then it, depending on the people and the personality as well um, and the purpose they decided to set, because I set my purpose for 10 years. And then uh, for that year, what I do is to think about in order to fully live my purpose, like what's going to be strategic, what's going to be very important. And this year for me is really about like just making the company financially uh, profitable, cash flow positive. That's great because it's going to enable me later just to achieve more things. But then just doing this is going to be a lot of work already. And then you can break down the work on how to, to do that. Uh, and then you have a lot of tasks just to achieve that goal. Um, yeah, that's it. And if you manage just to reach that goal a bit earlier than the end of the year, then good for you. Then let's say I've done this for the year. And what I do next is actually to break down the year into quarters. So three months. And then in this quarter, I have like five or six things in the company where I have tech operations, sales, marketing, and uh, other. And then I just write one thing for tech, one thing for operations, one thing for sales, and one thing for that. And then actually have a deep satisfaction when you say, okay, this is green with white fonts. And then you see the green is popping and this is green by the way, but then you see the green like popping on the Google spreadsheet and you're like, okay, this is done. Now I can actually take all my energies to get this other thing. 
and this other thing, and then it has to be realistic. Uh, so it's achievable within three months. And it has to be very meaningful and important and, uh, and benefit for the uh, one-year goal, right? So uh, it takes some time, but then uh, it doesn't mean that you have to do everything for the year and then you enroll it. You have to adjust over time as well. So things can change during the year. Like let's say that now there's a lockdown, right? So obviously I'm not gonna be able to do everything. So I have to readjust my quarterly goals, but I have to get it done and it has to be important enough so I can actually feel emotionally boosted because I've done stuff, I haven't sit down and actually waited for stuff to happen. But I set the goals I'm, uh, and you get it done basically. So that's the mindset. So year, quarter, eventually like the little task you can use Google Calendar, like, okay, I've got to do this and this and that's it. So I'll give you an example. Yesterday, um, we just, we had to uh, ensure the SEO is going to be set up properly for the website for marketing. And the task I did yesterday was just to change the DNS. So now when you go on WisePass, then you have a new website. It's done. So we're good now. Sorry, I'm just going to do that. Oh no! Oh yeah, it's good. And then, um, and then uh, this task is complete. And then now I can work on the next five things uh, for next week. There is a book called uh, "One Thing" from Gary Keller. You, you ever read it? Oh no! Everything, uh, everything you and this is for the audience too. Everything that that you just said about the one thing is in his book. <laughs> he just talked about like focusing on the one thing. Got my you get it there. You get it for me for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it's quite interesting I'm, I'm setting up a company right now I'm, I'm consulting a company and that's how they run the company with the one thing so for every week they have that one thing to accomplish that is essential to the running of the company and everybody has just one task it's like if you don't do this task then you know like everything gets stuck so we just focus on the one thing so it's a great book one thing by Gary Keller I recommend that I think I uh, I'm going to read that book for sure the second yes. is um I remember that it was like about goal setting from the uh, Harvard Business Review stuff about like, and then they just still mentioned like three things about goal setting because like when you start to throw goals, like I think that Dana was asking for the process and all that for the one thing, there's actually uh, nice to have goals, enabling goals and critical goals. So what I do is just one critical goal that I think is personally important. And then the rest is enabling and the nice to have. And then you realize sometimes I have a lot of ideas, but then to make sure it's going to happen, then you need to, to cross out like the things that you think is, in, it's not that one, those ideas are nice, but that's so good. And then you just focus on that and you're obsessed over this goal over and over and over. And then for people who has OCD, that's it's great because it's just going to focus on that like for, for a whole year. And then you're, magically you're going to be done same thing like right now I'm, I'm just exercising i just say i just do like uh, push-ups and plank because that's the only thing i can do in my space and uh, i do 100 push-ups and 50 seconds twice daily that's it so it's just it's not gonna make me super like bulked up but it's just good enough just to keep me in shape so that's the kind of thing i'm, I'm doing Nice. And there is there is one thing, one book that uh, you recommend. Also, uh, you talk about clarity. I guess that's mm -hmm. a book about, um, from James Clear, if I may recall. Atomic Habits. 
Uh, no, it's not. Uh, it's, it's clarity. It's called clarity. Oh, clarity. Okay, yes. It's a clarity of understanding. It's like how to have our mind uh, clear. And I think the one goal is is one of the minimalist way of uh, applying. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, it really comes back to eventually operations, right? And like, what can you actually do? And what will you actually get done? Yeah. And, uh, and realize like you're having like a million ideas rushing into your mind and then that's good based in your mind, right? And the reality is uh, that if you want to do something, it's going to take time, money or connections or resources. And then what's going to really happen and what's going to materialize, I like to use that verb, then is uh, this. And most of the time we are overestimate ourselves about reaching these goals. And then when I uh, write the goal down, I just have to assess myself. Like, is it going to be something very, really feasible? And for my staff as well, like when I work with them, say the social media team, like how many followers can you increase for uh, Instagram? And then uh, they have to look it up and figure out like, okay, you want to reach 5X, how are you going to do that? Within how many days? And then how much money? And then when you get the, they, they get the real numbers, they're like, oh, okay, so that's not good yeah. at all. Yeah, so what do you do? And then they become much more realistic about like what you can do. But uh, it's in the power of compounding, right? So if you keep doing this regularly, steadily, consistently, that's the right uh, mm -hmm. adverb, then this magically you'll realize, okay, so that, that starts to yield results eventually, but it's not something overnight. No. Uh, can I ask how many staff you have right now? Uh, sure. Or wise so marketing, we have like uh, three people and for let's say uh, tech, like we use an outsourcing company. So it used to be like five people. But now like we start to outsource because like uh, the, the products here, it's just mostly for maintenance. And then everything else like accounting, tax and all that, like we use like outsourcing companies only. So we keep our fixed costs very low. And then like for services, we need like tech, tax, other. Then uh, we structure in a way where we just give it, uh, we give the job to those businesses and then they complete the tasks. And that gives you more flexibility on your uh, overheads, right? So you don't have to spend a, a lot of money every month. Very yes. good. Thanks. Invite, I invite everybody in the audience to actually ask Lam questions about his startup uh, because WisePass now, I mean, like for me, I've, I've been one of the first uh, members oh, yeah. back in the days. <laughs> it was just for uh, Jack Daniels, actually. Um, oh, there was what cabal that was pretty great at the time as well. But we shouldn't. It was nice. Uh, but then it became like more like lifestyle and change, and you completely actually, you know, like switch the the, the everything. I think like transitioned, uh, and you managed to adapt to to new to to, to new different types of like audience and services. Um, so I want to talk about this a little bit. Like I want to talk about your startup and your startup life. Uh, because we tend to put a lot of, uh, of, of words behind, behind startups and, and what it is and everything. So if people in the audience don't understand what is startup or want to have um, some insights, if you have a startup eventually, or if you are uh, offering services for startups, if you want to ask them some questions about it, 
don't hesitate. And me, my main question is, um, once you have, you know, invited investors to, to participate in your business, how is it to, that, that's the only question I, I, I have because I, I feel like when you invite investors, um, it's harder to protect your entrepreneurial vision. Maybe I'm completely wrong and you can tell me I'm wrong. I'm happy to, uh, to learn from what you will say about this. Uh, it depends. I'd say uh, if you raise $60 million, then uh, your voting rights are going to go down and then you won't be able to materialize your vision because somebody else will have um, stronger voting rights. That's one way to see it in terms of uh, uh, legal aspects, right? So that's one thing. Second is um, when you invite some investors, like you spend a lot of time to discuss with them and then It depends. So aside from the amount of money that uh, they invest, those investors sometimes also have good ideas. They are smart. They're able just to uh, make you listen. And I'll give you an example. I got this guy who's a CEO or he was an ex-Uber guy in Singapore. In 2018, we were growing 100x. And then we, we met each other and then it was like, okay, so it's not going to work. I was like, Okay, why? Well, $300 a month, man. That is not enough people in this country, in Vietnam, uh, you can find in order just to grow to over a billion dollars in revenue in the region, even in the region for $300. Price point is too high. You go and figure out a way if you can do beers and do this and do that, but then you got to lower the price point. So your subscriber base is going to be big enough And then you can eventually make uh, not even a billion, but well, actually maybe. But then lowering down the price point is going to be very key and essential to uh, the growth of the business. So this guy is used to see things big because Uber is kind of like a massive uh, company and they're listed now. And it brought me a challenge where how to get 10 bucks My model was actually getting $300 and actually paying and actually buying all the services and the products from the vendors. If I do this with $10, what, how do I, how do I make it? Mm -hmm. And uh, the solution didn't come right away. The solution actually uh, came uh, when uh, one of our partners, Pernoka, referred us to like uh, some Thai beers like Singha. And those guys actually, they started to come over and say, we want to work with you. And I actually reached to Budweiser previously. And I was like, okay, I'll just meet you guys, but I don't think it's going to work. But uh, here's what's going to interest me. I'm going to do this for 10 bucks, but then you sponsor all the beers. So let's actually get a lot of people like uh, subscribe to WisePass for $10, but then Now they get, uh, they'll be able to redeem like a beer, three beers every day, which is like uh, two or three dollars a beer. Actually, so that's how it worked. Can you can you explain what what is WisePass now and what do we? Oh yeah, sure. Um, so I actually got lots of that because I, that was a long question about the entrepreneurial vision and then how it gets affected okay. with a, a couple examples. Uh, and hi me and uh, thanks for following me. So uh, WisePass is pretty much like uh, today, I would say a lifestyle app where you subscribe 
And uh, as a consumer, you'll be able like, just to try products and services, access some events, enjoy some exclusive promotion or get rewarded uh, by the brands. Basically, we connect, uh, we work with the brands and then they provide like a bunch of uh, um, branding activities. So they do a lot. So that's why we say like, you can try stuff, you can access some events, you can enjoy spe uh, special promotions uh, and then you get rewarded. For the brand, they have like a very different terms. Like they call this like brand awareness campaign, uh, activations, brand engagement, so events, brand promotions, like uh, buy one, get one and the brand loyalty so for the other side it's going to be rewards mm -hmm. so brands consumers and we are in the middle and the way we operate and the way we make money is actually through the subscription so we make money from the consumers they download the app they put the, their email and then they put the credit card and then we get ten dollars a month from them we may get more in the future because we're about to release the more premium plans for uh, premium brands. Um, and the way, and that's the way it works. So what we do is actually just to get great offers from the brands and they control the, the offering and consumers can vote with their feet by actually going to some specific location where the brand will tell them, come over here, you can get this. or come over there, there's a great event. And that's pretty much like how I would explain for uh, within two minutes. Mm -hmm. Behind uh, the thing uh, I'm working on is how just to collect meaningful uh, data set for brands to be more or stay more relevant to their consumers in a way where uh, we can have a proper and very clear methodology for brands to understand that uh, who are my consumers? And uh, we explained them th the consumers are actually the people that redeem your product because they try it. They went to your events. They even buy, they did the buy one, get one. They, and you rewarded them. So we have like a clean uh, stack where we can actually uh, show the numbers and we can do it in uh, the offline world. And this is the opportunity for, for IcePass. We are actually operating as a mobile app and we are collecting like offline data set and we make sense out of it. And yet we are uh, digital because it's an app, it's mobile, you download it in the uh, app store. And uh, by actually making sense of that, then uh, we actually build value. So uh, for the brands, we're more like a data analytics company and uh, we just get sponsorship from the brands mostly. When you say brand, uh, because mm -hmm. for, for me, that is an old user, it's like, before it was more um, uh, retails where who you were partnering with, right? And now it's it's more like bigger brands. Like you you say you follow the brands, so that means like you you take big beer brands and you work only with this beer brand, for example. And no matter where she is in the city or where she will go in the world, like somehow you are able to follow her. Is that is that the way now it's working instead of you know working with different places in Saigon? as before? So for places like our venues, we call them venues as well. Like it's uh, something we we still do, right? But then like, uh, uh, what's really critical. So we'll be the brands because they will be uh, the first stakeholder in the business where we work with. And then they will have the business strategy and venues come after. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, and sometimes brands have their own stores, by the way. So we have this kind of weird thing where let's say Starbucks or CGV, they are their own locations. But uh, venues is really the location where you will be able to redeem your uh, product service or, the, or where you're gonna be able to access events or where you're gonna be able to, to enter the promotion. So that comes after. And in the past, it was more like um, we will partner with a lot of restaurants and then that's it. But then that would be for the consumers because like at that, at that time uh, in 2017, we were trying just to solve a different problem, which is use cases. Because initially when we started just to grow really quickly, we were actually just about nightlife and drinking. And the restaurants would come after so we could let people have like uh, different use cases and so on and so on. Based on an old model where we just get the money of $300 a month from subscribers and then passing the money back to the vendors. And with this model where we get sponsorship, then there's no money to send back. And this is what makes uh, the relationship with the brands like uh, uh, critical because like we need to have that because if we don't, then we won't be able to do much. Actually, uh, for people who wants to know how Wisepass transitioned and, and, and what happened during these last six or seven years, um, I recommend the articles that you write, that you wrote on LinkedIn. On your, on yeah, your, sure. Uh, it's a three-part article and it's, uh, it's, where, it's well written by the um, and also on the new website on the blog now. Yeah. So you can get on wisepass.co and then you click on the blog and you have all the articles um, that we will likely just to uh, keep, uh, we'll keep writing a bunch of articles in the future. So, yeah. Okay. Um, PC, you wanna... I, uh, I'm just watching the clock right now. We just have about 15 to 20 minutes. So I just want to get to the juicy parts a little bit where like, you know, we talk about the failures and we talk about the... The good stuff so if you want to continue that or i can i can jump in it go ahead guys because go ahead yeah. so, so 15 minutes per failure right <laughs> or it's like <laughs> I'm, we're gonna go for an hour at least like just to <laughs> list them down first and then yeah, yeah. no so so my, my 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 question for you is like you know within the seven years that you've been doing wise pass like you know if you if you had to give us the top three failure and then we, we make we maybe can focus on the top one and you know, and see like how you dealt with it. And, uh, and you know, cause like on the outside, like we all know that Wise Spice is quite success successful. You have like, you know, a presence here in Ho Chi Minh City, but you know, behind the scene, like what, um, what happened and how did you handle it emotionally on a, and, uh, and how did you come through all those like hardships? Sure. Um, fundraising is one, uh, operation finance is uh, two and number three. So let's say um, operation and finance. Like we were not doing, uh, we did fail miserably uh, in 2019 uh, with some vendors because actually what happened is as revenue goes up, subscribers goes up as well. Um, but then the, uh, the cash flow has a different uh, dynamic. As you may get a lot of cash, your expenses are actually uh, deferred because a lot of people were actually purchasing like a year from us, which is great. So you end up having a lot of money in the bank, but then expenses would occur like uh, a few uh, months later. And then we 
lack the uh, proper planning and the proper like um, not the financing but then the financial management skills just to understand like how money would go in and out and make sure that we would plan it properly and actually have a reporting real time which we eventually had and then that actually led just to uh, a miserable like a uh, social media crisis in uh, 2019 and i had just to go through all this even though um it was really hard but we had to deal with like multiple vendors that's number one that is connected with fundraising as well because actually at that time we were discussing for a million dollar fundraise with a japanese company and then that's yes and then they were asking us a contract and then they backed out so it's actually uh one uh, other things like uh I, I really focused on and the learning is never rely on uh, those investors until the money is in the bank, which is fair. That's okay. And then ensure that no matter what, like we have to position ourselves strategically so we're safe, secure, and then we don't have this kind of uh, situation anymore. So that led me just to think about how to avoid this complexity in operations by getting money in and actually sending money back. How just to have a really beautiful, uh, healthy gross margin. And how to make sure like, uh, if anything happens, let's say like there's a lockdown in Ultimate City and actually the country right now, it's okay. Because actually we eventually raised money in 2020. But then the key lesson is, well, we're gonna store the cash and have very fi low fixed cost, So we can run for two years with zero income. So this is when I, the biggest, I mean, the biggest mistake for me is actually, I don't like finance, but I ended up actually being obsessed about finance so I can prevent from actually jumping into such kind of situations mm -hmm. and make sure like, and also I, I'm like, I, I'm a risk taker by nature and by experience, I ended up more like a risk uh minimizer or risk averse person and think about like, okay, what's going to go wrong? You'll lay it down and then you take action. Like this thing is not going to happen because I've done A, B, and C. And because of that, it doesn't happen. And then uh, you plan for uh, the worst and then you expect and you hope for the best, right? And uh, this is the kind of thing like uh, I'm more uh, focused on those days. Like how to prevent anything that can happen, I mean, bad stuff, and uh, have a proper set of actions just to resolve that if that still happens, right? And that would be actually uh, the main key point. So you can survive, but also like you can thrive eventually. Um, for the fundraising, this is something that I hate as well. Because like it's, for me, it's not really about the... Uh, uh, the fact that the vision is going to get lost is more about the fact that it's just very hard just to raise in general. That's the first thing. Second is actually you have to realize that the fundraising is really emotional. It's really human and it's really biased because uh, what I realized is, um, and this is why I kept failing fundraising, by the way, is because I, 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 I talked to people that I didn't fit with and because they had their very specific goals and then I just didn't want to understand that. Eventually I understand and that's fine. 
but I still disagree. I give you an example. For VC funding, what you do is to pitch like a big plan where you're going to become like a super billion dollar company from Vietnam. I was like, who does that? Who did this anyway, right? And then maybe VNG, and they were actually founded in 2004, five, a long time ago. So uh, the fact that uh, those guys, those VC funding investments come and then just, just put like one or $2 million so they're gonna become like a billion dollar company, that's not gonna happen. It's very hard. Even in San Francisco, like uh, you may have like a few like popping up, but yeah. Recently, we start to have like a lot of like uh, unicorns in the Southeast Asia though. It's not from Vietnam yet. It might happen soon, but um, the vision is uh, we want to put a lot of money in some uh, high-risk, high-return uh, startups, and that's great. My vision is, uh, yeah, how many how many percent will fail? Because personally, I'm I'm not going to invest ten years of my life and actually fail, right? So I'm not aligned with you guys. Actually, I don't want to take ninety percent risk and actually fail, and then you're fine because this is the money from LPs. I, that's my vision that's my company and uh the way i reacted was pretty simple i just uh, kept like the majority of the shares and that's how i keep the vision and how I, I also keep a lot of stress as well because i make the call i make the decision but i'm taking all the risks as well but at least i have uh, the control of the company and then i can work on that and people can believe that i'm very passionate and really deeply invested in it and so uh, yeah, and sorry you. So you've been running WisePass for seven years, and I guess you had a ten years plan for WisePass when you started it. So how far in are you from that ten year plans, and what's the next ten years then? So that's a good question because I don't have like a full answer yet. Yes. Uh, but the first answer would be like uh, how long? Three years. So uh, and I'll, I'm getting forty three years from now. So that's the first thing. What I'm going to do when I'm going to turn 40? So I have to come up again with 40 to 50, right? And this is what's going to take more time because like mm -hmm. it doesn't, you need that, the purpose never changed. So what I'm going to do for the next 10 years is going to be something and I have to reflect on that. It's likely that I may have to still run the company uh, during my 40s, early 40s. And then uh, there's actually uh, two different roles. Like one role is actually I'm going to remain uh, the founder and CEO of the company for a quite long time or not. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I am trying just to make myself surprised. Maybe it's going to be even more interesting three years from now. Maybe I'm going to learn more stuff and heck, why would I just get some money and actually sit down at the beach, right? Maybe it should be better. And then maybe, like, ironically, uh, it's going to turn into a billion-dollar company, and I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, that's okay then, I guess. So that would be my answer. What about relationship, Lam? <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, like, Wes was actually bombarded quite with questions yeah. about this. That's a broad question. Uh, that's a broad question. Now, you want to know, like, what brings... Your happiness in having a relationship <laughs> with your family members or with your dog <laughs> or with your i don't know you can elaborate more i'm very happy to discuss about that 
yeah, I mean, in pers- personal or plan on like even yeah relationship or other personal yeah. plan. Yeah, well, the thing is, uh, what I've done for the past, uh, say, let's say since 2020, was pretty simple. Um, I've done the following. I decided uh, in terms of relationship to not putting this as a priority for the next three years, at least. Mm-hmm. And um, magically, it actually does, it doesn't affect me anymore. So I'm still maybe like I'm gonna uh, give myself some time just to see if uh, dating someone else or is gonna be uh, worth it and uh, falling in love as well. Very important. Yeah. But uh, then it's gonna be back to the, another question like which woman am I gonna uh, allow to be vulnerable with, right? Because mm-hmm. you're gonna open up and all this kind of thing, but then as you're getting older, like you have like all those uh, experiences as well, where uh, you know how it's gonna be with this person or with that person, and then um, you still want to get surprised, right? So um, I actually to minimize it as much as much as I can, and then it makes me focus. For relationship in general, what I'm trying to do now is really like just try to um, be under the water, swimming a lot. And then magically you realize one thing, there's nothing happening like around the city anymore because uh, when you start to raise money, when you start to be in the news, when you start to be on TV, on Shark Tank and all this kind of thing, uh, you're pretty much exposed on, on the media, right? So people will recognize you and all this kind of thing, which is great. But um, Eventually, you just want to be more anonymous. Or personally, uh, I prefer to remain anonymous and actually spend time, which is not what I'm doing now, which is our <laughs> way. But um, uh, it's really like, how do I spend like quality time and really do what I set myself to do for the day, for the year, for the week, for the quarter, whatever that is, so you can be happy. Sometimes relationship can bring great happiness. Sometimes uh, it doesn't. So I'm pretty... Uh, I'm pretty like very like uh, slow on that at the moment. This is a good topic, like because you as, as you're saying, like you know, you're you're in the pub, a public figure, you're in the, in the public eye. So how are you handling your reputation, like you know, because like how do you handle that? Because with relationships, with you know all the the difficulties that you had in 2019, there is a reputation that you have to carry. And so what are those? What what are the mechanics behind it? Yeah, I mean, um, that's great. So um, what I do is very simple. Relationships are built over time. They are built over like a set of actions that you do with uh, many, many people. And for, for people that don't know you personally, then that's a different thing. But let's say I start with the people that know me and then the people that don't know me. For people that know you, then that's easier because like they've interacted with you several times over the years and they know who you are and then they're not going to jump into conclusions when something bad happens, right? Because like they know where I'm coming from and then I'm not just doing stuff like that. The people that don't know you, they will come up with some uh, prejudices, stereotypes or whatever that is. Yeah. Assumptions. I remember like uh, one of the walls where one guy said like, oh, this is a Vietnamese VQ. I know the VQs are just motherfuckers. 
okay so like you can't do much about it because like because it's the way it is right so those are prejudices and uh you just gotta deal with this and as you grow over time and you get bigger then more people will be against you for uh, and they have their own reasons sometimes it's not even personal they just don't like uh apps or technology or um whatever that or vietnamese overseas pick you and then you happen to be one of them and then you're like okay so there's gonna be something like this but um you keep uh the focus on moving forward on building things up and when i came back in 2020 people were like oh but are you able just to restart the business are you going to keep the brand name are you going to do this and this and that and i said yeah why because people said this i was like sure but then who oh i can't talk about this i was like okay but then what i'm going to do with this kind of productive feedback i'm not going to be able to build something right so you start with one brand and then two and three and now we got over 20 25 or something like this and then magically because you you kept steady and consistent with the work on focusing your year 2021 on being profitable and cash flow positive then the signals or the negative signals are are just signals and what's going to create like stronger signals is actually the accumulation of your work over time and that's how I handle my brand reputation. Like, I'm not gonna get online and start just to uh, chase like a witch uh, or the witch hunting thing. Like, oh, you said something about me. I was like, <laughs> yeah, I don't have time for that. So, sorry. It's just like it's not worth it. What's gonna be stronger is actually getting work done, moving forward, and actually how to grow even faster and bigger. And that's gonna be the most important, uh, crucial points for this year and uh, the coming years. I have a question from uh, Guillaume. Guillaume Rondon. Ah, oh, Guillaume. Yeah, our friend. Um, Guillaume asked uh, how he how he is catching up. Uh, ask uh, he is asking you how you, are you catching up with the lockdown work from home, new habits and routine to balance between personal and running the business, as everything you, is now so merged and time spent spent at home is crazy. I don't know like, if it happened for you guys, but then I start to get pretty lazy. Like just because like it's in the same environment, then you just sleep and then you wake up and then you go and eat and yeah. So uh and the space where I have is not gonna be like super big. So what I do is to really focus on so the famous like one, one or two thing. things. That's the one thing. Uh, she's <laughs> more extremely one thing that I'll do is just that. And um so I just do that. So work is going to be stuff I put on the Google calendar. And then the only thing where I actually try to be, be relaxed about this is more like exercising. So I, I so here's a, maybe I, I'm, I'm doing things wrong here, but I set myself just to get six packs, which is maybe an unrealistic goal. And we're, we're happy with this, but uh uh, how to get that, but I study a lot and then I spend a lot of time watching YouTube videos on on, on lipids, you know, like how to trigger like uh, mm. this molecule so that you can actually uh, break down the triglycerides and then you get fatty acids and this kind of thing. <laughs> I have it all by heart right now. But then um, then this is what I'm, I'm starting to get serious about this. So I did those push-ups, but it's useless, by the way. This is just muscle, muscle growth. And then I look at diet. 
So like how just to control the diet so you eat much less and you just eat like better kind of food. And that's how I do the balance during the lockdown right now. And also I watch the numbers every day, hoping that the curve is going to curve down even faster and the vaccination rate is going to be much uh, higher in the next coming weeks. Like we just got uh, some uh, vaccines, uh, I mean, for the French people. So um, that's good news. So I try to remain positive on the on the um, outlook because I think the government's trying just to really get the pandemic under control. So that would be like a balance between personal time and running the business for me. Thank you, Guillaume, for this yeah. question. Thank you, Lam. In, in general, for our audience and for everybody during this lockdown, please take care of your mental health. Please take care of yourself. Let's be uh, courageous, everybody. It's uh, it's not easy, but we're we're making it. So doc, uh, watching Dr. Berg on YouTube is great. That this guy actually really uh, hooked me for like uh, more than like 25 videos. He's a doctor and this is when I came back to biology and lipids again. Lipids is really important just to trigger so you can burn fat. It's magical. Very good. Uh, yeah. Go ahead, Nico. Yeah. No, no, no. I was about to actually uh, start to wrap up. Maybe I had a, a, a last question uh, myself is, I, I remember you were doing a lot of uh, mentorship at one point for younger startups. Are you mm -hmm. still involved in this? And is this something that you would be interested in, you know, maybe put, it, put in your plans for the next, let's say 10 years? I still do actually. I've done uh, last, Uh, when I was in RMIT, uh, and then uh, when I was in, uh, I'm I'm doing this right now as well, apparently on Vibe G, and uh, some people can book me, and then uh, I just spend some time with them. Uh, the visa startups or experience startups for their accelerator programs. So asking me a lot of questions about uh, many different things like market fit or finance fundraising now because I'm happy just to open up myself on this uh, topic. Um, so I am happy to do so. And then uh, if you guys have any startups and looking for some advice, I can do it for free, just in case you, uh, you need to. Very good. Thank you. Cool. Pessy, any last questions? I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm pretty happy. Do you guys have any questions? We are about to wrap up, I guess. Mm -hmm. did, you, uh, did you want to add anything, um, uh, Lam? Or any uh, questions that you have actually for the audience or any questions you have for us? Um, who's going to be your next uh, guest? Do you have any idea? <laughs> I, uh, we're not sure yet, but you can, if you have anyone to recommend, you can definitely recommend us any. Sure, I'll definitely recommend somebody else um, yes. next month. Is that right? Or next month, yes. Next month, cool. So I'll, I'll just do that. I don't have anyone else in mind yet, but... Uh, It's going to be a list for sure. All right. Uh, and maybe can you tell us like a little more how we can connect with you? Because uh, I guess if we, if we text the WiseBus page, is it you behind it? Uh, I, uh, actually, it's getting to the uh, marketing team fully now. So the best is going to be more LinkedIn. Like I'm spending a lot of time on LinkedIn uh, daily. Right. And uh, I used to use Facebook a lot. Now it's just gonna be, I mean, like I just post like nice pictures of some locations, but that's pretty much what I do. Uh, about like 
carbonara pasta and uh, <laughs> and uh, so that's you're not, not going to find much on, on on facebook anymore so uh if you want to reach me uh you can just contact me on linkedin and uh i'll be happy just to discuss to discuss and then there might be the link on whatever thing i think we have one question that came in actually yeah go ahead do you think actual things will transform durably the way of work uh, I think the lockdown. I, I'm, I'm, I think she's mentioning the lockdown or the, the COVID, maybe? Sylvie, what are you talking about <laughs> with my French accent? Do you think? <laughs> actually, we're going to the, the situation. Let me try to understand uh, what you mean. She's asking about the way things will transform and, like, do you think it will, like, do you think it will transform durably? the way we work, these things that are happening now, like the, the lockdown and everything. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Ah, I think so, so I can answer, but you can answer, yeah, go ahead. Um, <laughs> we can all answer. <laughs> we can, exactly, so. Uh, <laughs> so, so let's say we're gonna assume that if it's talking about the lockdown, then if the way we are working is gonna be, the way of working is gonna be changed durably or uh, in the long run right yeah. and i personally believe that we will just keep working in the office but we'll do more like those kind of things like on zoom like it's going to be more like something normal but um because it uh it wasn't like hey, let's do zoom right it's more uh, now it, it is it's a thing now it's not going to be the only thing though hopefully because uh, uh, my belief is like people will still go in offline locations to meet, to connect, to uh, to have dinner and uh, to have some um, drinks, right? Hopefully because it's for wise pass, right? I will know anyway, because I'll have the numbers. And uh, for working, like there are things that you can't do online. Like uh, when you meet people like in the offline world, you are more keen and open just to share more than when you are in uh, looking at the screen. You still can do that. But then uh, the connection is just different. So that's my personal point of view. I agree with that. Yeah, I agree too. Um, uh, Lam, last question that we ask all our guests. And oh yeah, sure. That's gonna be the last question. Um, how would you describe Saigon in three words? Uh, the first word is home, as we discussed. The second is uh, the uh, energy, like I feel really like um, uh, the rush of energy when I'm here, and uh, work in progress because like this city is being has been changing for the past ten years and very likely for the next twenty years. The landscape is so different now. And I hope it's going to be even more different in, in the future. So that's how I would describe the uh, Saigon. Thank you. That's a little bit different than uh, what we usually have. So I'm, uh, I'm liking your answer a little bit more. <laughs> Yay. Did you like my answer? Uh, well, um, yeah, I mean, like, uh, that's uh, ah, okay. So she's happy for the answer. <laughs> Welcome to the. It's actually my mom. I didn't want. To oh. Say. <laughs>
Bonjour la maman de Nico. Bonjour, merci pour euh, la, le feedback. So, um, uh, I think she was asking this because she's a psychologist as well, so she's trying to understand the workplace a little more. Anyway, um, so I think it, it's time to wrap up and um, yeah. uh, to say bye to everyone. Thank you for your participation, La. Thank you for everybody who actually asked some questions and those who was uh, just uh, here to say hi. It's always a pleasure. If you have any, any additional questions, you can put them in the comments or you can reach out to Lam on LinkedIn as he asked to. And of course, uh, everybody will be happy to, to connect and that if we can help you know, uh, to create more opportunities through these sessions, we are happy to do so. And for me, it was a pleasure to actually co-host today's interview. Um, I always like to, to listen to stories like Lam stories and, and to, to hear also uh, and to learn about new things. So shout out to you, Lam. Uh, thank you for thank your time. You, Lam. Well, thanks for inviting. Shout out to the Hive. They are behind as well, uh, helping us with the technical. Yeah. Great guy, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yes. Thank, you. Thank you, Jeff. Just to, yeah, the, the live will be available on the Hive. And I don't know if it's going to be available on the WisePass, but it's also going to be available on Creators in Saigon. So you can I'm, have access to it anytime. WisePass yeah. is I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to Creators in Saigon. If you liked this episode, Become a part of our mission to inspire others by leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends on social media. This one small act can truly make a difference in someone's life. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and see you next time.